2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Michael Bennett announced his retirement yesterday, and we spent plenty of time, especially on PFTOT. Praising Michael Bennett as a guy who didn't have the stats, but to the trained eye, he was dominant, he was effective, he should have been on the all-decade team, he was the guy that had the biggest red dot over his head in Super Bowl 49 when the New England Patriots were trying to slow down a defense chock full of superstars in Seattle, that was at the height of the Legion of Boom, so today's draft, the guys currently in the NFL where the stats don't tell the story. And this can go in a lot of different directions, Gosh. offensive, defensive, anybody who generates stats, it can go in, in whatever direction. Do we have a trivia question today? We don't oh. have a trivia question today. Chris, I'll go ahead and let you have the first pick. Cause oh. I'm confident. I'm very confident in my, I want to run here. I I, I I beat you barely on Monday, destroyed you yesterday. I'm going for three in a row. Yeah, yeah. So kiss my butt pick.
3: and kiss my butt, okay? <laughs> you didn't win either day, all right? <laughs> so here we go. All right. Uh, I, I think – You know, uh, suspect number one for me, and the guy that doesn't get credit or the hell with the stats, is Calais Campbell. Calais Campbell is going to be my number one guy there. I mean, Calais Campbell is a Hall of Fame defensive tackle. We don't – you know, I know people know him, but he's not talked about as one of the best defensive players or defensive linemen in football, and he has been for – I don't know, 10 years now, he's been in that conversation. You know, like a Michael Bennett can play defense to end, can play defense at tackle, one of the most giant humans I've ever seen. You know, and again, what, what we talk about with these type of guys, disruption, you know, and then a game plan effect they have, right? And Calais Campbell's a guy that, you know, you got a double team or you run away from him or you know certain plays aren't going to work when you run them his way. Uh, so to me, that's the guy that jumps out to me more than, than, than the rest right now.
2: You know, I am stunned. I am surprised. I handed it to you. I gift wrapped it. One of your favorite guys in the league is the clear cut. I love how you like to do this. You
3: love to give me the number one pick. I pick it. I pick a good pick, and then you crap on it. Go ahead. Well, who is it? I'm not crapping on your pick. (laughs) I'm saying. That
2: you avoided and you ignored. Something's wrong with you between putting Aaron Rodgers at number two on your quarterback list. Three. Putting Odell Beckham Jr. at number six. Number three. Number three, even worse. Number three, not number two. Putting Odell Beckham Jr. at number six on your receivers. And having the prime opportunity to sing the praises of the guy who is indeed so freaking awesome. But doesn't get the opportunity to prove that he's so freaking awesome because of the offense that he's in. Deshaun Watson's statistics do not demonstrate his greatness because he's middle of the pack in all of the major statistics. Because number one, they don't throw the ball as much as other teams do. And number two, he's running for his life before he throws the ball most of the time. He doesn't have the help around him, especially now that DeAndre Hopkins is gone. And even with Hopkins, he didn't have the help that he needed. He doesn't have the blocking, doesn't have the running game. 16th in attempts. 13th in yards, 11th in touchdowns, 11th in passer rating. He was 6th in completion percentage, though. It's 70% plus. Deshaun Watson is every bit as good as the very best quarterbacks, and you have him in your top five. Think of how much higher you'd have him. If he was on a team that actually
3: used him to his full capacity, Chris. Well, yeah, I, you know, I get it. You're right. But like, this is not within the spirit of the rule or the yes, draft here. I mean, what come on. Mean? The stats don't tell the story. He he's is better than his stats, but we, he's better we're than talk, his stats. we know, but we, a lot of people know that a lot of people know that is what I'm saying. That's what, everybody knows that he's like one of the five, 10 best players in football. I, I you know? don't, so, I don't agree with man, you. We really. know it. I don't think, I think that, I think that. His stats keep a lot of people from feeling that he's one of the top five guys. Really, That's really stretching fits, the, the rules fits, of this draft. No, it's there. not. Yeah, 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 it, it fits is.
2: right into the wheelhouse. Yeah. Right yeah. into the wheelhouse.
3: Right, right. I know. Michael Bennett and Deshaun Watson, they're both household names. Right. All right. All right. So. You, wait, uh, wait.
2: Was it confined to defensive players? No. What,
3: did, did I miss that text no, message yesterday? No, you, All right. Then shut up and you, make your you pick. missed. You missed the point of the draft, apparently. That's what happened here. All right. My next guy. I'm going with the Honey Badger in Kansas City. All right? I am. You know, the stats, nothing you're going to see there is going to be like eye-popping. It doesn't matter about that. And then, you know, I don't even know what his PFF grades are and things like that. But the value he has to a football team, first off, off the field. You know, we heard all that stuff last year, right? He was the leader of the Kansas City Chiefs, like the second week he was there. Then he is like a Swiss Army knife, and the things he can do in the secondary, and that's his true value. I mean, he can play linebacker, he can play free safety, he can play corner, he can play nickel corner. You know, he really does everything. And they they put him in some of the toughest situations a safety can put to where I'm sure sometimes his grades for certain games might not look good, but you know they ask him to cover like you know a George Kittle man-to-man in big situations where like a lot of safeties wouldn't be asked to do that in football so yeah there's four he's gonna get beat by some guys here and there but he's asked to do things that most normal safeties in football don't do so I think between that and then of course his open field tackling and energy he brings to the field on a Sunday Uh, one of my favorite guys to watch and I think he fits the mold of what we're talking about better than Deshaun Watson.
2: Now, look, I'm not going to crap on that pick because I like Tyron Matthew. That's a great pick. You took one of my picks. Maybe I should have just gone Good, Since you wouldn't have taken Deshaun Watson anyway, I I wouldn't have bagged him until round three. But Tyron Matthew, and it is the tangibles and the intangibles, and the fact that he is that weapon that you just put in the defensive secondary and let him do whatever needs to be done – And he is a great leader. I remember when they did the all or nothing series on Amazon with the Cardinals. And there was a scene where he gives a speech in the meeting room and it's powerful. He's a great leader. And he's one of the reasons why the, the chiefs were able to hold it together. It was a great signing last year, sneaky, great signing when they grabbed Tyron Matthew and uh, a very valuable piece of that team. And uh, any team should want a Tyron Matthew. All right. I'm going to go with a guy that we've mentioned a few times over the past few days. Uh, who currently is unemployed and is waiting for the right opportunity. Jadavian Clowney, the king mm. of the F up the play stat. There you go. And his, his stats never do- – well, one of the reasons his stats never really, really tell the story is he doesn't play enough to have stats, but even when he does play on a consistent basis, it's not like he has a four-sack game, but he creates havoc on every single play, and he's a guy that there is a perception he hasn't lived up to his potential, but he does have – the ability to take over a game and allow his teammates to be the ones to get the tackles and the sacks and the forced bumbles and the interceptions.
3: Yeah. Great pick by you. Great pick by you. I mean, yeah, he is. He's, this is, this is one of the originators of the F the play up or, you know, one of the title holders, certainly. I mean, like I said, Michael Bennett is the originator, but yeah, there's been a lot of years where, you know, I, I, I get done with the season and go, Oh, I think Jadavion Clowney was one of the, you know, four or five best defensive players in football. You know, you look at his stats and you go, oh, he has five sacks, and people just don't believe that. But, you know, you made all the points. You're right. He is a nightmare. And, I mean, he a linebacker, defensive end, can line up a defensive a tackle, walks around the line of scrimmage at the snap. Uh, I've never seen a guy as strong as he is for, like, you know, I know he's, like, 260-something pounds, but he plays with the power of, like, a 310-pound man, the way he controls people. So uh, I'm with you there. I like that. Um, man, I have so many guys to pick from here. I don't know where to go here. I really don't. But I think I'm going to go I'm going to get one big guy in the in the mix here, all right? And that to me is DJ Reader. All right, DJ Reader got a big contract from the Cincinnati Bengals. I got to give one big, you know, big big guy some love here. Nose tackle the last few years for the Houston Texans. And to me, You know, there's a lot of guys of these interior defensive linemen who are underappreciated, but he's one of the best in the business as far as pure nose tackle. I mean, he's just an immovable force. He can take on double teams. I mean, you watch film of him sometimes, and there's two or three guys on him. And he's just raw and he holds his ground, and you're like, damn, there's like 980 pounds trying to push this guy, and they haven't moved him an inch. So, you know, those guys always are underappreciated. They cause their havoc in their own way, not by busting in the, the you know, through the line of scrimmage, but more of making a mosh pit and not letting an offensive line get any movement that way. uh, They're very undervalued, and uh, that's why he got paid big bucks by the Bengals.
2: And I understand that this was inspired by defensive players, but there are players at every position who, other than kicker and punter, whose stats don't necessarily tell the story, although there there are some punters, I think, where the stats wouldn't tell the story because a, a high gross average doesn't mean you're a great punter. You, you, where you put the ball and how many you put inside the 20 right yeah your gonna, gross not, average sorry. could
3: be not that good if you're punting from the 40 and you're got you're pinning exactly. it inside the the five yard line every time
2: but I didn't think of that until just now so the punters didn't get included in this sorry punters um I'm gonna go with and you're gonna complain about this
3: but I'm gonna go Ty, with you're gonna, guy guy with, are you gonna who, go with Patrick Mahomes here or who are we gonna go with there
2: funny <laughs> got anything else actually Devontae Adams was my next pick. <laughs> oh you're funny um, I, 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 a guy who has not had stats yet and probably won't have very many stats this year, given all the weapons that are around him and that are competing for the football. But how about Cowboys tight end Blake Jarwin? Okay. 31 catches, 365 yards, three touchdowns last year. Kind of a forgotten man, but a guy they really like. Now, last year, you know, with Jason Witten around, that kind of affected his output. But between Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and Ezekiel Elliott, I, you know, Jarwin... May not get a chance to truly flourish the way that he could, but he's going to be a reliable piece of that puzzle. One of the reasons why the Cowboys didn't bat an eye about Jason Witten walking away. And uh, I, I think a guy to watch, even though yes. he probably won't have big numbers again this year.
3: No, probably not. Not eye-popping. Not going to be like Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, those type of numbers. You're right. But, Mike, you know, I don't know if I would have picked him in the draft, but I think he's like a guy that's like an up and comer. Like, you know, I, I would say, watch out. He could jump on the scene as a lot of people going, damn, this Blake Jarwin guy is really damn good. I mean, the, the talent is real. You're right about that. So I'm not mad at you for that one. I think he is better than people realize. And I think he's going to have a big, uh, a much bigger stake in that offense this year than, than normal. Um, what do you want to talk about? Some of the guys we didn't put on, like Real quickly, who else do you got? Well, I thought of Julian Edelman. I mean, I did. I mean, Julian Edelman, you know, his stats are good, right? I mean, they're not eye-popping. You know, I'm still a little mad at Julian Edelman for his PED use, and that's ultimately why I didn't pick him, but damn. Damn. You know, I don't think stats tell the whole story about him and the attention he has created through the years with his great underneath route running. You know, the trick plays, you know, whether it's the, you know, all the touchdown passes and things like that. He's just got great value there off the field too. you know, blocks in the run game. He's just a complete football player. He's you know, used to be amazing on special teams as well. So he was one that really jumped out to me.
2: Marvin Jones Jr., the Lions receiver, is a guy I had on the list, 779 receiving yards. That does not tell the story of how good he is. And I had a couple of other defensive players. Vita Villa, the Buccaneers defensive tackle, he had only three sacks last season uh, but a guy who was very disruptive. And Jeffrey Simmons, yeah. rookie with the Titans last year, he only played in nine games, but he was tremendous, but the numbers wouldn't tell you oh, that he was I know. tremendous.
3: The defensive guys get screwed over. They really do a lot of times. But, yeah, I, even Jimmy Ward, I, the, the free safety for the San Francisco 49ers, he was on the list for me. Marlon Humphrey, you know, I just don't know if – I view Marlon Humphrey as certainly a top-five corner. I would say he's the second, third-best corner in the game. I don't know if he's viewed that way. You know, And, of course, the Akeem Hicks, William Jackson of the Cincinnati Bengals, another top five corner, in my opinion, uh, that nobody knows about. So, yeah, this is a fun exercise. I like this. It makes you think about some guys you wouldn't normally think about or talk about here on the show.
2: All right, Rodney Harrison is going to be joining us coming up later in the hour before that. Number 30 in the State of the Franchise Series. How long until the Carolina Panthers will provide some dividends on their offseason overhaul? More PFT Live right after this. Major changes for the Carolina Panthers after the 2019 season. Ron Rivera out as the head coach, Matt Rule in, Cam Newton out as the quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater in, Luke Keekley retires, Greg Olson is released. A lot of changes for a team that comes in at number 30 in the state of the franchise series. Because, look, Chris, you throw in the pandemic new coach, new quarterback, new everything. Yeah. No opportunity to get anyone on the same page. Off you go. With with a with a division that has the Saints and the Buccaneers and the Falcons, who were six and two down the stretch last season.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, this is a totally different looking team. I mean, it's a totally different era now in Carolina. Now, you you know, you bring up, – they got a lot of moving parts. You're right. This offseason screwed them over in a big way. You know, Teddy Bridgewater, though. You know, just as far as that's concerned. Hey, look, I mean, that, that's that's the 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 marquee move of the offseason, right? Paying him. He does know this offense. You know, as far as uh, Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator from LSU who came up there to Carolina, he was in New Orleans. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of carryover that helps him. Yes. But, you know, I, I do. I'm interested to see where this Teddy Bridgewater thing goes. I am. You know, you know, throughout his career, been very conservative. Certainly. I, I always use the phrase, you've heard me say it, where I just go, you know, he, he doesn't lose games, but he doesn't win games either. You know, and that that'll be the big thing for me to whether he holds on to this job and truly solidifies himself as a you know, starting NFL quarterback because I think he teeters on that border of, yeah, it could be a starter, but he could be like just an awesome, awesome backup too. I'm not sure I'm sold either way yet, but the thing is that you got to be excited about if you're Teddy Bridgewater or Carolina, I mean, man. They got some ballers on the, on their offense. They do. I mean, we know they got the best running back in the game. You know, DJ Moore is one of those guys that I, I was I, – it killed me that I didn't put him on my top ten wide receiver list. You get a D.D. We- uh, uh not D.D. Wesson, uh, Robbie Anderson from the hey. New York Jets. You know, did what? D.J. Moore call you out on Twitter, too, or was it just Devontae Adams? No, I think just Devontae Adams. And D.J. Moore, though, that, that bothered me a lot. It did. It actually bothered me not having him more than it did Devontae Adams because, you know, more, more especially, he's a weapon guy, too, like a Tyree Kill or a Debo Samuel and that's that fashion. So a lot of young guys that I think got a lot of talent, but I don't expect anything big out of this football team this year, at least. I don't know how you feel about it.
2: Joe Brady running the offense he comes from New Orleans by way of LSU familiar with Teddy Bridgewater familiar with the Sean Payton offense and look we do see a lot of dinking and dunking from Teddy Bridgewater he's never had big numbers but last year when he got a chance to run that Sean Payton offense five and zero. yeah with weapons around him and it's been a long road for Teddy Bridgewater and I am rooting for him I hope he does well that Catastrophic knee injury in August of 2016 derailed what Minnesota quietly believed would be a breakout year. And here we are, four years later, where he gets a chance to be a starter again with his own team. He's making more money over the next three years than Patrick Mahomes, also, by the way, assuming that the Carolina Panthers keep him for all three years of the contract. And if they do, that will mean it went very well. But what do you expect to see from Teddy Bridgewater in this offense run by the guy who? Who knows him from his
3: time in New Orleans? Yeah, I, you know, I, I expect, uh, you know, good numbers. I'm not going to say superstar type play. I hope he plays a little bit more aggressively than he has in, in years past. You know, and maybe this will embolden him to have the weapons around him, and knowing the offense, and knowing all the different options, to where it makes him play that way. You know, I do. You know, again, I don't. I'm not sitting here saying he's got to like reinvent himself or totally change. I just wish he was a hair more aggressive because I do. I think they got guys that can make big plays. I mean, they got legitimate speed at receiver. You know, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, they'll run by just about any corners in football. You know, a a pretty good tight end play. And then we know McCaffrey. So I look at that and go, yeah, but uh, I'm I'm equally as excited about some of the things they got on the defensive side of the ball, too. To me, I, I really think Matt Rule and company did a phenomenal job of flipping this roster and you know, still giving themselves a chance to be very competitive, and you know, I, I don't expect a 2-14 and 14 type team. I don't. You know, you know, the first pick of the draft, they get Derek Brown, arguably the best player in the draft. I mean, you, other than Joe Burrow, for me, you can make that kind of argument. He's a difference maker. All those young guys they drafted on the defensive side of the ball, their whole draft was defense. You know, I liked them all. So, uh, it, it's a, a team with great potential. I just don't know. If, of course, I don't think it's going to get there this year. They got all
2: their defensive draft picks, all of their draft picks under contract yesterday, so they are good to go. No holdout issues, no problems like that. Derek Brown was one of the first first-rounders to sign earlier in the year. But, but you're right, this is a work in progress. Yeah. This is a reclamation project for Matt Rule. We saw him do it in Temple. We saw him do it at Baylor. And, and it's going to take time. And, and I think anything they do this year that, that would be even remotely close to 500, that, that's cause for celebration because it's all about laying the foundation for 20 21. But at the same time, you've got Christian McCaffrey in his prime. Yeah. Right? I mean, at the the same time, if you have an opportunity to reach for the brass ring, and if it falls your way, and if you get lucky and you win some games early, and you build some confidence, and guys buy in. We talk about that all the time. The best thing that can happen to a new coach is to win games early because guys buy in. They believe. They feel good about themselves. Confidence begets more confidence. And you end up finding yourself in a spot where all of a sudden you're contending when you get into October, November, and early December. And and with that seventh playoff spot, that that's the thing. I think it becomes harder to write off any team in either conference this year when you throw an extra playoff spot into the mix,
3: Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I I I mean, I'm I'm with you there. Uh and you know, I don't know if I expect this team to be in that conversation. I don't, you know, I, I, I'm like we've talked about excited to see some of these guys. But you, know, you kind of hit on it already. Matt Rule, first first year head coach. you know uh, Joe Brady, first time NFL offensive coordinator, not really that extensive of a resume even in college. And then the defensive coordinator Phil Snow has never coached defense and football in, in the NFL either. You know college football, and there's going to be an adjustment period there. Like, listen, I know Phil Snow is a hell of a coach, you know, but there's going to be a part of him that's going to learn to go. You know, he's going to have his code cracked for the first time this year, where he's going to go, "Oh wait, nobody in college used to do this to me when I played this coverage." And so there's going to be a lot. And and now you know Brady and and Sean Payton have found uh, you know some some cracks in my my schemes, and I have to readjust how I think and what I do on the defensive side of the ball. So to me, let alone grooming these young players, I, I could almost see this being a, almost like a Miami type year that we just saw last year, where they might start out 0-4, 0-5, 0-6, but then we get to that second half of the year, and they're a pain in the butt for everybody they play, and maybe they rattle off three, four, five wins at the end of the year, and you, know, you go into the end of the season going, whoa, watch out for Carolina next year, they might have something brewing, that's literally what I'm expecting from Carolina here in this first year under Matt Rule.
2: And when I think of all the circumstances conspiring against the Panthers this year, the lack of an off-season program with the new coach, with the new coordinators, right. with the new quarterback, I, I think back to the story from 2011 when Jim Schwartz, then the coach of the Lions, told the Harbaugh brothers, especially Jim, who was first year with the 49ers with no off-season program, basically you got no chance this year. You got no chance. And Jim sitting there seething as Jim Schwartz told him, you got no chance. You got no chance. And then when they got together in October and the 49ers beat the Lions, that was the I went in too hard. I I, I went in too hard. I I went in too hard and aggressive. (laughs) That
3: was my fault. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. Your buddy, Jim Harbaugh. Oh, yeah. uh, My good old buddy. Yeah, right. Tell your dad I said hi. Yeah. Go Uh, Ohio State.
3: Let's go. Uh, Let's let's take a (laughs) break.
2: (laughs) uh, Our good friend, Rodney Harrison, a Patriots Hall of Famer and uh, analyst on Football Night in America is going to join us when PFT Live continues right after this.
1: Coach is absolutely fantastic. Um, every year during the holidays, he sends me, he sends us gifts and baskets and really nice chocolates and things like that. Coach Belichick is an easygoing guy. Conversations are always light. He doesn't really take himself too serious as much as other people think that he's this really serious guy. He's very, I mean, he's caring. He's, he's just a very just open, relaxed guy. I got a great relationship with him. That's Rodney
2: from Sports Uncovered, a podcast series by the various NBC Sports Regional Networks. And there he is, Patriots Hall of Famer, our good friend from Football Night in America, Rodney Harrison. Rodney, good morning. How are you, pal?
1: Good morning. I'm tired. Thanks for waking me up at like 6 o'clock in the morning, Chris. Oh,
2: my. Hey, it's uh, – didn't Wait, you play did in you New move England? To, Did you move to California? No days you off, move to big California? guy.
1: <laughs>
2: it's 8.30 a.m. Eastern. You're in Atlanta.
1: I didn't go to bed till 2 o'clock hanging out with my wife.
3: Oh, well, I'm well, okay. Don't lead me down that road. I don't want to ask what you're doing. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. You're what are you doing? You know me, I can barely hold my tongue as is. <laughs> oh, you're going to do that to me start the day.
1: Hey, hey, Chris watching the twilight zone. That's all I was doing.
3: Okay. Was all right. Hey, I want to ask you this just real quick. Cause I, you the clip we just played on the pod of your podcast and all that Bill Belichick. I mean, I think the same way of some of the things you said, but tell us the the difference of when you were playing for him and then when you got done playing for him. Did was there a difference in the way he treated you or talked to you, uh, or or has it always been the same?
1: You know, for me, Chris has always been the same because it's not like once I turn into the media that I was searching for information. So when I would call Coach Belichick, it wouldn't be trying to hit him up for information or try to steal any secrets. And plus, I had to be very conscious of that because anytime I come around, I get paranoid thinking that they think that I want some secret information. But for the most part, our relationship is great. It's always been good. He's always been honest. Anything that I need, you know, I have an open-door policy, and I just have a lot of respect for the man.
3: Well,
2: the – Go go, ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris.
3: All right. I was going to say, too. All right, so we're talking Belichick. Well, so what, what how, how do you think Bills handling this right now? This offseason, everything. I mean, what's going through his brain? How do you think he's going to handle this whole COVID-19 training camp?
1: Well, I think I mean, he's going to try to follow as, as best as he can all the CDC um, guidelines and everything um, implemented by the NFL and NFLPA. But at the end of the day, he's just like everybody else. There's a sense of uncertainty. Um he's trying to figure it out on the way, on the go and um you know, the, the thing about Coach Belichick is the way he's going to build this team this year, I think it's going to go back to, you know, once again, being fundamentally sound, playing good defense, you know, playing really well on special teams. And you start talking about Cam Newton. Cam Newton was that missing piece they needed. He comes in automatically, he gives them a spark, he gives them some energy, and he gives them hope. You don't have hope with Jared Stenham because you don't know what he's capable of doing, but at least with Cam Newton, You know exactly what he's done in the past. If he's healthy, you know he has a healthy nucleus around him, a great defense, and a great coaching staff. I think he's going to have success, Chris.
2: You mentioned Cam Newton. We're going to talk about him more coming up. But I want to focus on this notion of uncertainty. And everybody is dealing with the uncertainty, Rodney. But a lot of the coaches out there, the uncertainty is driving them crazy. They want to know what the rules are. They want to know right now so they can plan for it. I feel like Bill Belichick is uniquely situated yeah. to, to come up with rules, whatever it is. You tell me the rules now, and we're going to play a game in an hour, and I'll be ready. And And I feel like that kind of quiet confidence that Bill Belichick has is going to give him an advantage because everybody else is losing their minds over the uncertainty, and w- whatever it is, he's going to be fine, and he's going to have a plan, and the Patriots are going to implement that plan.
1: But also think about it too, Mike. I mean, you look at Bill M- majority of his guys on defense, they're returning. I mean, they have a lot of veteran players that are returning. And you trust a lot of those veteran players to help the young guys get acclimated and get caught up um, to the system and what they're trying to teach. So a lot of times it's Devin McCourty. It's a lot of times it's Jason McCourty. It's Patrick Chung teaching and communicating with a lot of young players, getting them up to speed. So it's not just Bill Belichick and his coaching staff having to do everything. They have a good group of guys around them that acts basically as coaches on the field.
3: Yeah. I mean, to me, Mike, and, you know, I don't know, Rodney, of course you can disagree, agree, whatever. But, you know, when I think of Belichick and the circumstances right now, you know, I go advantage New England. I go advantage New England because Bill is the greatest thinker in the history of football. He is. And he is, you know, I would expect Bill Belichick right now to probably be in the New England facility, starting to understand how guys are going to be separated, the rules, whatever else he's toying around with those things. And listen, I didn't, I wasn't there as long as Rodney was, but two things always jumped out to me. Attention to detail and efficiency. I mean, those are the two things that he is going to find a way to think about these new rules and protocols, and I would think he's going to brainstorm, and because he's so brilliant, and like we always say, I think if he worked on Wall Street, he'd be the Wolf of Wall Street. He's just a brilliant man, that he'll find the proper, you know, techniques and system that's going to work for his team and everything like that. What, Mike? The, uh, Chris, the, Chris, the Wolf of Wall Street went to jail. But he was the wolf at <laughs> kicking butt at one point. You know, <laughs> I just want to make sure that we know that. <laughs> yes, you're right. He did go to jail.
1: Hey, guys, but also think about this. You know, anytime since I've been there, anytime uh, injuries occurred, anytime someone left to go to a different team, Coach Belichick never makes a big deal out of anything. You know, he never overreacts. You see, all these other coaches, they're concerned, they go to the media. Coach Belichick takes everything in stride. So he never panics, he never gets overly excited about anything. So his players throughout the locker room, they feel the same way. They just adjust, they adapt to all different types of situation, Mike.
2: And Roddy, it's the same attitude that the team has always had when it comes to injuries. No excuses. Right. Because what happens is you get players saying, oh, well, this year's this year's too crazy. We're worried about too many things. We got to worry about the virus. This just isn't our year. No, no excuses. Whatever the circumstances are, we're going to go do our jobs, do your job. Whether it's the second string center who has to bump up, whether it's the second string quarterback who has to take over, whatever it is, we're not going to hang our heads. We're not going to say, woe is us. We're just going to do what we have to do. And that's why I think that mindset's going to serve them well this year.
1: Yeah, and he talked about Brady one time, and after that, I promise you, he told his teammates, hey, you make a statement on Brady after that, we focus on the guys that are here in the locker room that are working, that's on our team. And and that's the beautiful part about it because he doesn't harp on guys, oh, if we had this guy or if this guy didn't leave in free agency heck, if you left, you're gone. He'll mention you and say thank you, and after that, you never hear another word from about that guy.
3: Right? I, I, uh, I've been trying to say that too. I mean, Belichick's not going to be like worried about you know looking at the Buccaneers' results uh, every week and trying to compete with that. He's going to be staying focused on the Patriots and. You know, Rodney, this is where I want to pick your brain. You know, can we go down the Cam Newton? I want to go down that conversation right now because, you know, I I look at it too. I'm excited about it. I am. I mean, you made a great point. You're right. He's a proven commodity. There's something to be excited about. You know, you got Jared Siddham, you know, in your pocket for the next three years anyway. So why not take the chance on Cam Newton? But, you know, I look at it as like 80% boom, 20% bust. The one area I get scared of is just – the New England way, can, can Cam handle that? You know, like we talked about, the attention to detail, you know, the selflessness that goes on every day and being humble and nobody's going to be praising him like they probably usually do. They're going to be like, oh, you hit the pass? Great, you're supposed to hit the pass. You know, I, I, that's where I worry about. Is there anything that you see that could be a bump in the road or where you think it doesn't work out between Cam and
1: the Pats? I don't, Chris, because you got to think about it. Cam Newton is fighting for his football career. Forget about everything he's done in the past. If he can't beat out Jared Stenum, first of all, he's going to be a career backup. His career, like we knew it, is over. Cam Newton is more focused, more humble, more motivated than he's ever been, and he's more ticked off. This is the same, Mike, you and I talked about. This is the same situation that I've been, I was in. When you come into a new team and you have an opportunity to play for Bill Belichick, you have so much respect for who he is, what he's accomplished, what he's done, You just want to be part of something great. Cam Newton has made over $100 million. He's been to the Super Bowl. He's had all pros and pro bowls and all those different things. He's been the MVP of the league. Now you want to come in, you want to acclimate yourself to the system, and you just want to fit in. And I think Cam's going to do a great job. I think he has a lot of respect for Coach Belichick, Josh McDaniels. I think he respects the entire Patriots organization. And Cam's going to to play well, man. And think about this. You know, maybe he... He makes an adjustment with his sliding or something like that. But Cam Newton, when he plays, he's going to play the way – We've always seen Cam Newton. He's going to be big, aggressive, and physical.
3: Hey, I know we're talking about the Pats, but stop banging the damn table, okay? You're, 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 you're ju- <laughs> yeah, I could hear it. All right, you, you damn safety, you. Up, <laughs> I know.
0: Hey,
2: here's here, here's the wild card, though, in my estimation, because it's not Bill Belichick and Cam Newton. It's Josh McDaniels and Cam Newton. And I had someone point out to me recently that. You know, whether to what extent they can get the right working relationship is going to be critical. And we've seen times in the past where Tom Brady lets Josh McDaniels have it on the sidelines during a game. But it's the stuff that we don't see. How closely will they work together? Will it mesh? Will it work? Will Josh McDaniels dial up game plans that get the most out of Cam Newton? How do you feel about McDaniels and Newton working together the way they need to to get the most out of his skills?
1: When we talk about the best offensive game, best offensive coordinators in the National Football League, and in order to be that, you have to adjust your system. And it's not always, you're not going to have a guy like Brady who was in the system for two decades. You got a guy like Cam Newton that you have to adjust some th- different things to. Um, I heard you guys talking about Tim Tebow and the way, it was it t- 2011 or whatever, He directed his playbook. He'll make some adjustments with Cam Newton. But think about it. This is is a, a level of talent they've never had before, somebody as big as Cam. Yeah, he's not the most accurate, but he plays with heart. He plays with energy. He plays with toughness. And that's enough to spark his teammates. And if he can get Nikhil Harry, get a few other guys stepping up, making contributions, man, I think the Patriots are really right now an underdog in that division.
3: Yeah, I, I, I hear you. And, you know, Mike, I, I could speak to Josh McDaniels having played for him in Denver in, tw- in 2009, you know, having worked for him in, in New England. He, he's, he's got a great way about him. You know, and he is in the fight with the quarterback. It's not a guy that, like, lets, like, oh, you're the quarterback out there and the play doesn't work. I blame you. It's never my fault. No, he's very real about what's going on, and he has got one of the, like, to Rodney's point, one of the most extensive playbooks in football. It's got all the Cam Newton plays in there. They just got to move it up a little bit in the playbook to where it was pushed in the back before, like we talked about yesterday. But uh, that's, to me, the key, what Rodney's hitting on. Uh, This is where New England's amazing. With all the moving parts over the years, they are going to go through training camp and see the things that Cam Newton does really well. And they're going to build almost an another playbook off of that. And the things he doesn't do so well, hey, they'll continue to work on them, but they certainly won't be as big a part of the offense. And, you know, I, I don't know. There's a lot of meme, Rodney, that feels like the way the Patriots are built right now, it actually fits Cam Newton style of football more than it did a Tom Brady where you know you think you want to spread it out dink and dunk I think they're built to play a Cam Newton ball better actually
1: But actually Chris I mean that's an excellent point by you because they can still dink and dunk you know bring up bring up Cam's uh, completion percentage to 65 70% dinking and dunking but also running a football Everybody knows that the Patriots like to throw the ball, but their number one thing, and Coach Belichick talks about it all the time, is having success running the ball, obviously playing well on defense, making sure the special teams, uh, making sure that they don't turn the ball over, making sure that they limit their uh, their penalties. So it's a lot of the fundamental stuff. And the other thing you talked about, Josh McDaniels, what I personally love about him, he's not one of those guys that goes around and he kisses butt. You know, it's like, has something, he's going to do a really good job of communicating um, with you. Um, he's not going to, you know, sit here and say, oh, Brady, it's whatever you want to do. He's going to get in Brady's face and he's going to tell Brady exactly how he feels, just like he'll do the same thing to Coach Belichick. That's why the players take to Josh McDaniels because he doesn't go around kissing butt.
2: We need to take a break, but let me just underscore a point Rodney made earlier. And Rodney, I think this is an excellent observation. If Cam Newton can't beat out Jared Stidham, He is a career backup moving forward. And even though there isn't going to be a preseason, even though the traditional opportunities for a quarterback competition aren't going to be there, one of the reasons Chris and I believed that Cam Newton was available for so long is the other teams were afraid to bring a Cam Newton in because he instantly is better than your starter. And from the first practice that the players are going to go to the locker room, they're going to say, holy crap, why is he the backup? And in New England, it's not like Jarrett Stidham is going to go pout in the corner. And if he does, Bill Belichick can say, stay in the corner. We'll find somebody else to be the backup, right.
1: right? Absolutely. Do we have to go to a break or do I have time? <laughs> no, you can say something. Go ahead. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. And then as a player, think about it. If I'm Devin McCourty and I just lose Tom Brady, and all of a sudden in the offseason, I'm like, what the heck is this Jared Stenham going to do? Will we, Will we? As a defense, do we really have to be the number one defense in the league to win now? Then all of a sudden Cam Newton signs, you're like, "Holy crap, man! We got a legitimate chance. Like we can win this division." You automatically forget about Tom Brady, and you feel like you give yourself a really legitimate chance of winning that division and getting back into the playoffs and and having success.
2: All right, Rodney's going to stick around. We're going to talk about Chris Sims' receiver rankings. I'm 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 told that Rodney is here to advocate Devonte Adams' case. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what else comes up on that topic. More PFT Live coming at you right after this. We spent some time yesterday talking about the Chris Sims top 10 receivers list. Tyree kill at number one, all the way down to Cortland Sutton at number 10, omitted Devonte Adams, among others, Rodney Harrison returns and uh, Rodney, your re- your reaction to Chris's effort to identify the top 10 receivers in
1: the league. Is there any way we can get that little segment, that little stat, his little list on the side, just so I can see it. Yeah, go ahead. Look at it again. I mean, first of all, First of all, you put Tyreek Hill there. Now, is he the most dangerous, maybe the most explosive? Yes, but is he the number one wide receiver in the National Football League? I would have to totally disagree with you. That would be Michael Thomas. Level of consistency. If you need a third down, you need a tough catch in the red zone, Michael Thomas is the guy. My number two receiver would be DeAndre Hopkins. Look at all the garbage quarterbacks he's played with over his career. (laughs) Productive. Number three would be Julio Jones. He's getting a little older, but he's still very consistent. Number four, I'm going to surprise you with this. First of all, AJ Green hasn't played in the last two years. How do you even have happen- you?
3: I, I because Thank I'm, you. I'm playing at his age, that the talent that he is, that I'm still going to say he's top ten coming into this year. That's what I'm saying. I know it was one of my risky ones right there, but I'm still going with it.
1: And I'm going to tell you another one that I disagree with you on. Yeah, and I. Guy has all world ability, but just as far as his production and his consistency is Odell Beckham, I don't think he's a top five wide receiver anymore.
3: Well, I'll say this: I people think I'm crazy that I put him at six. I, I do. I I put him at six, you know, a little bit because of the injury thing too. I mean, it was a little of the AJ Green thing. Yeah, it's been three years in a row that he's been banged up. But I don't know. I just still think with Odell Beckham Jr., we'll see. That's why he's six for me. If he's healthy and hitting on all cylinders, you know, I I always say he's the most talented receiver I've ever seen. So we'll see. I knew you were going to go Michael Thomas, number one. I knew that. You love you some Michael Thomas. And I understand it. Uh, To me, though, the weapon aspect of Tyree Kill, which oddly enough, Rodney and Mike, I haven't got a lot of pushback on the fact that Tyreek Hill was my number one receiver. I thought I was going to get some for that. Um, you know why? Yeah, you know why? why?
1: Because you're like everyone else. Everyone's so caught up in the big splash plays, the 60-yard bombs. And how many times have we sat back and we watched last year two defenders right on Tyreek Hill, and he goes up above two guys that might be six one or taller and catches the ball because of those big splash plays. But you're talking about the level of consistency and, and, and just what Michael Thomas does on a week in and week out basis and what he means to that team, I think is incredible. My last point on your receiver um, list. Hold on, Mike. One second. Cortland Sutton. I thought you knocked it out the park with him. This is a guy that is a top 10 wide receiver because he plays with it D- for the Denver Broncos. He doesn't get a lot of pub, but this guy is an excellent route runner. He's he's big. He got good hands, and he's going to be a, a, a top five receiver here in the next couple Thanks of years.
3: for giving me love on one of my rankings. I appreciate you giving me one love. Thanks. Thanks a lot. And no I, I, I may have missed ever. it, Rodney. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Rodney, when you were giving us your top receivers, starting with Michael Thomas, where would you put Tyreek Hill if you wouldn't put him at number one?
1: I'll put him in the top five. I'll probably put him at, as the fifth best wide receiver right before Odell Beckham.
2: And Mike Evans is a guy that we haven't talked about yesterday or today, and that's kind of fitting. Right. Because Mike Evans is a guy who just gets it done and gets it done and gets it done, and nobody ever talks about Mike Evans.
3: No, What? Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say legitimately though, like there's 20 top 10 receivers in football. I, I really think like you can really make that case. I, I got, I got some friends that, are, you know, big coaches in football, they could, they would probably take four or five guys out of my list and put four or five guys that are not on my list back on there. So there's, there's not a receiver problem in the NFL.
1: Devonte Parker from the Miami Dolphins. Right. Two of those guys are just, you know, they fly under the radar, right? But distant and just really good players.
2: All right. Hey, Rodney, great stuff today. We look forward to doing it again with you real soon. Have a great day. All the best to your family. Chris and I will be back to wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFT Live right after. You
1: the man, Rodney. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, you know, Chris, as it turns out, property defamation isn't as crazy. It's still crazy, but it's not as crazy. Here's why. Got an email from someone who pointed out there is a concept in the law known as slander of title. It's a claim involving real estate in which one entity publishes a false statement that disparages or clouds another entity's title to property causing a financial loss. So slander of title is kind of like property defamation, although no one ever refers to it as property defamation. So you weren't completely. It's what I thought all along. But 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 I'll say this. It was made in reference to Antonio Brown, and he was not charged with slander of title or property defamation or anything else. But, yes. But at least there was some redemption. Yes. All right. We hope you enjoyed the show today. We'll be back Thursday with another edition of PFT Live. Everybody have a great day. See ya.
0: Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.
4: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up?